Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with the founder of Colson Health, Wendy Colson. Now, we all know that nurses have a reputation for going beyond the call of duty, and my guest today is no exception. Wendy was a registered nurse specializing in women's health care when she noticed many of her patients were struggling with keeping up on their milk supply after giving birth. To this end, she went home and baked a variety of bars with lactation-enhancing benefits. Patients just kept coming back for more. With a nudge from her coworkers, she began Milk and Cookies, eventually expanding to the highly successful parent group that is today Colson Health. Now, after earning more than a million dollars in annual revenue, her products are reaching mothers across the country. Colson Health is growing like crazy, and we are excited to have Wendy. So, Wendy, let's get into it. Thank you for being here today. Thank you. How did we do on that intro? Was that relatively accurate? Yes. The timeline looked like it was off on one thing. I think you had said, um, I know you mentioned the breastfeeding support group, correct? And I yes. that that's where that's where the company was born. And I think you had said it was born before that. Gotcha. Well, then take us into your own words. Tell us the origin story for this company. Oh, sure. So I am a registered nurse and a board certified lactation consultant. And Back in 2011, I wanted to have a breastfeeding support group and I named it Milk and Cookies. You bring the milk, I bring the goodies. And that's because <laughs> I love to bake. And I also, um, when I had the birth of my second child, 22 months after my first, homemade became a luxury. I was kind of living on frozen food. So I wanted to make sure that I provided not only a lactation service, but I wanted to actually spoil my moms and give mm. them something homemade and yummy. It was there that there was a mother who asked, she, she looked depleted and I said, are you eating? And she said, no nurse, Wendy, I have no time to eat. And I said, you have to eat on the go. And she goes, what should I be eating? And I named three things and the final one being a bar. And she goes, what brand? And that was my aha moment because I surveyed all the bars on the market in my head and there was nothing for a mom who had just given birth and who needed breastfeeding support. So I said, don't worry, I'll make it next week and bring it to you. And I did. And I named it Booby Bar because I think yes. uh, motherhood a sense of humor yes. in life. And um, so I did that and, um, it ended up being a hit, not only with her, but mothers week after week. And I continued to do this for three and a half years in the same support group and the mothers themselves shaped the, the bar. The bar that I brought the first week was not the, the final bar. They really brought feedback and continued to shape it. Wow. So I'm curious just on the, uh, I guess on the nutritional side, what is it that needed to be in that bar to serve that particular group? Right. So the bar needed to be in terms of nutrition, it needed to have high fiber, high iron so that we could get um, our energy back that we lose after childbirth. And sure. then in terms of milk support, it needed some superfoods that are out there, but a lot of people don't realize that the added benefit is if you're lactating, you have to be lactating. It's not like you could eat these and start making milk, but if you actually are in lactation and actively lactating, then they will aid you and they could boost your milk supply. It support it. Wow. And, um, it sounds really foreign and it sounds like pseudoscience, but, um, something that's more familiar with most people is our dairy cows and our dairy cows are, fed certain things and given certain things to make milk. So it, we are all mammals. And so the same thing applies to human milk. We can actually tweak it a little with our diet 
and, um, and by giving, uh, ingesting certain things. So we use something called galactagods. Galactagods, again, are across all mammals. You use them in veterinary science too, but they're an herb medicine or food that actually are known to boost milk supply. Wow. And there are thousands of them. So the ones I chose were the ones that were commonly used in pills and teas and moms just don't have time. Like this mother who inspired the product, she needed to eat on the go. She needed to support her milk supply on the go. She did not have time to sit at home. Moms don't sit at home anymore with mobile devices. She did not have time to brew seven cups of tea, you know, 18 pills a day. And so by this way, she was able to eat one bar and we could supply all those things that were normally in pills and teas in just one bar. Wow. What was the hardest thing for you in creating the bar itself? Was it logistically how to get all that stuff into one place? Was it making it taste good, like stick together? I don't know anything about making right. product like that. What was, what was the challenging was part? Probably for you? A combination of all of it, right? Because um, taste is, you wanted function, but you definitely needed it to taste good because if it doesn't taste good, you're just, you're not going to use it. Right. So it was just learning just the proportion to everything and just having a nice balance of, you know, of the bar. Um, the gluten-free um, was a struggle. I had never worked with gluten-free uh, flours and they're very drying. And um, so that took about a month to perfect to, to keep the bar. We, we took a lot of the allergens, the top allergens of babies, being an ICU nurse, the top allergens of babies are egg, soy, and dairy. Removing all those allergens and then adding wheat because we've got so many people with an intolerance to wheat right now. Um, so by delivering on all those measures, it's really made the bar very successful with my population. Sure. Sure. So after you decide, I think I'm onto something here. Where do you go? Where do you go from there? How, where does the company? Well, from there, I decided, you know, there was nothing in the market after three and a half years of just perfecting it and research and development, very informal. Again, I was already at my breastfeeding support group. So that was my, my research. Um, after that, it was, let's just see if there's a market for this and, you know, reaching out to the big retailers, the three biggest baby registries reached out to all of them, heard back from two of them within 24 hours saying, we want this. Mm. That's when I kind of knew I was on to something. So from there, if you're marketing it, you can't be baking it, obviously. And there's lots of rules. So um, finding a manufacturer that aligned with my values and we're a vegan company. So finding a manufacturer that processed, um, you know, uh, uh, vegan foods and didn't allow dairy into the facility and that kind of stuff. So no cross-contamination was really important to me. And then from there putting it out there into the world and really going back to hospitals and baby boutiques and lactation clinics. And again, the big retailers and getting it into the hands of moms. Yeah. Out of all the things you just mentioned, finding the people this would be for making people aware of your product, securing manufacturing, all that, which of those proved to be the most challenging looking back at the manufacturing. Sure. Yes, there's a lot, you know, I was knocking on doors and a lot of people were just not interested. They, they see the lactation community, you know, it's 83% of all births in, in our country um, decide that they want to breastfeed. They're not always successful, but they want to. So, yeah. you know, eight out of 10 moms and a lot of manufacturers were like, oh, it's just a niche, you know, product. And I would always fight back that this is not a seasonal product. This is not a Halloween costume. Sure, this sure. Something that happens year round births are happening every day, every second in this country. And, um, and it was finding the, the right manufacturer who finally said, okay, I'll take a chance on this. Wow. And, uh, and he was very happy that he did. Yeah, I bet now. Absolutely. So was the, was the bet on their part, was, was the risk on their part, the fact that you were probably starting a smaller quantities than they would typically make time for? 
Exactly. Right. Right. Because there's a lot of cleaning that goes into equipment and of course, buying up the materials and making sure that you're going to reorder often enough so that the, you know, the raw ingredients don't, you know, expire before you order again. Um, making sure I had enough cash flow so that, um, you know, they, they want to make sure that you're not going to say, sorry, I can't afford that. You know, they want to make sure they get paid. Yeah. So those were all the factors that kind of went into it. I'm assuming this is a cash heavy upfront kind of business. Is that right? Is there? It is. Whenever you work with an inventory business, you have to basically, you know, stock your warehouses at the time it was, you know, my garage. I worked out of a garage until I was over a million dollars in sales and then finally moved out. And now we have three warehouses. So we've grown um, over the years, definitely. But um, but yes, you you have to you have to have inventory and you have to meet those minimum order quantities. So you do have to bite off a lot. And with food, you have to make sure you have homes for that. You know, if I was you know designing a, a new wine glass, I could buy minimum order quantity. With, you know, other than money being a factor in warehousing, there would be no stress. But with food, you know that if you don't get it in the hands in a certain amount of time, you're going to be trashing it, and that's yeah. not beneficial to any business plan. Yeah. So how did you solve that logistically? How did you start to get smarter in terms of knowing how much to order and how long versus demand and all that kind of stuff? Right. It was really um, napkin math. It really was. um, You know, now we have, of course, um, a huge uh, ERP system in place for inventory that, you know, forecasts and demands and all that. But back then it was really napkin math. It was, okay, here's what I need to order. And here's what my trends are this month. And of course they were increasing and, um, and then knowing, you know, how soon to place the order. And there was times we had a month, you know, not a month, I'm sorry, a week or two where we were out of stock of items because of just the, you know, you get it wrong. You're learning. Yeah, for sure. And it's not background, right? So, you know, we're just kind of, just kind of winging it. Yeah. With that community, when, when it's out of stock, is it is it mostly frustration and almost a, a point against the company or does it create more demand, the fact that it's, it's out of stock and almost rises uh, your value in people's eyes? I'm curious. It seems to be depending on the industry or the, the, the market, they'll respond one way or the other. What was it for you? Hmm. I never really looked at it that way. Um, I think for me, I think most people want it and they want it now. That's you know, what I think. Yeah. I think, you know, it would deter if anything sales. It's not something that a lot of women were um, buying in the, you know, now we have women who are buying it in the pregnancy stage, getting everything in place with our all our products, but it was more like I'm having this problem right now and I need the solution right now. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So yes. what you definitely cannot afford to be out of stock if you ever have an inventory business. That's for sure. <laughs> it makes sense. That makes sense. Okay. So what year was that in when you were first securing manufacturing and, and getting that part? That would have been back in 2015 is when we launched the, the commercial bar. Okay. And so what was 2016, 2017 like for the company? So 16 was the first time going into large retail and 17 followed that. And, and then 2018, um, was shark tank, my appearance on shark tank. Oh, I don't think I knew that you got, you were on shark tank. That's new to me. Yes. Yes. In 2018, uh, that was, um, an amazing experience that really propelled the business. We've had lots of blessings along the way, but that was probably one of our biggest. What, uh, if you don't mind me asking, I'm just curious as a fan of shark tank, what was the process like getting there? Were there like just endless amounts of interviews you had to do and that kind of thing? What was it like getting even just to get on the show? I decided that I wanted to just do an email. I have this belief. Um, my mom always says rejection is God's protection. So if something's supposed to happen, you shouldn't have to try really hard. Like I, I try to tell my husband this with lottery tickets. Don't go buy $300 with a lottery ticket. <laughs> buy the one quick pick because if it's meant to happen, it will happen with the one. So the same thing applies with this. And yeah. so I, I did a one pager and just kind of threw it all out there, you know, like, yeah. almost like dating, like, it's like, here's my best features. 
And, and sure enough, I heard back in seven days from a producer and said, okay, here, you've made it to the next step. Now answer these questions. And now we want a video of you because again, they have to make sure that you can appear on TV and get through that step. So the whole process was four weeks of going back and 40,000 people apply. And I made it down to the final 135 people that actually taped that year. Wow. And then what's it like actually taping the show, being in front of them and, and having to pitch your product? Yeah, no, that was amazing. It was very surreal. And um, it, I was there for on, on, on set for two days and you're in your trailer, you have some hair and makeup assistance, um, all, the whole team. Um, I was on the ninth season, so I can't speak for those who were first season and second season, but by the ninth season, it was so smooth. Or, um, you know, everything was done just first class in terms of the organization. And um, I love it. It was, it was a great experience. Everybody, including all sharks, were just um, the kindest people you'd ever want to, you know, get to know. Yeah. So why, why would you need to be on set for two days? Um, because they never know how long it's going to take because you don't have a time limit. You're not like 10 minutes, you know, you're Got up it. there, you know, anywhere from 45 minutes to two hours, you're up there um, speaking to them. How long was, how long were you speaking to them? I was speaking to them a little over an hour. I think it was about an hour and a half. Was it intense, like being grilled or did they get it? It was, it was, it was, it was, you know, um, four people trying to get to know you um, really fast and they would talk over each other and you're answering one and another one was chiming in and you wanted to be polite and give everybody equal time. And um, I needed to like duplicate myself three times that day. Wow. um, Yeah, but it was, it was great. Did you end up walking out with a deal or saying no, or what, how did that end? Right. I got two, I got two offers and, um, I took one, uh, and I mean, I don't want to spoil it. We still get repeats every, every month, but I did take an offer and, um, and worked with his team. Hold on. What do you mean? You don't want to spoil it? Well, I mean, it, I know it was 2018, but I mean, but I mean, I guess you could, you could Google the, the answer, but I did choose um, Damon John as my shark. Let's go. Yeah. So anyway, so worked with his team and, and it was a really, really good experience. And, um, you know, we had, we had grown so much. You tape months in advance, you know, sure. about six months in advance, depending on uh, when you're, you tape. And so by the time you actually air it's um, a lot of things change within your organization and so that's kind of what happened we are uh, growing really really fast and by the time we taped um, I was already you know a different company already on my second product and um, it was very um, fulfilling you know kind of thing so yeah did you guys have to prepare for a crazy amount of demand after the thing aired live yeah, but we had already figured out the manufacturing. You know, we, okay. we definitely knew um, I taped um, or I, I aired in January. So right after the holidays, we just cranked out an order that was really needed anyway. I think we may have padded it, maybe 10,000 extra. And um, but the demand really never stopped. It, it continued to just grow from there. And um Again, we, we still get commercials every about every, once a month on, on CNBC and it's, it's really cool. And like one time I was at a pediatric trade show and all the doctors must've been in their rooms watching the repeats of Shark Tank the night before. And they came, next, came back to the trade show the next day and I didn't realize I had a repeat and I aired the night before. Talk about perfect time. <laughs> so they were coming to my booth and saying, I just saw you last night. <laughs> Wow. I didn't have to do much talking because, uh, you know, the, the, the TV show did it for me. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. Uh, so we've talked a, a little bit around the, the most challenging issues, right? So whether that be manufacturing, supply and demand, logistics, forecasting, every business has just so many challenges. Every new success or breakthrough ends up having new series of challenges and problems to solve. I'm just curious for you, do you have a particular method 
that you follow or a way you think about solving issues for your company? I think just basically the main thing that I like to do is I fall back on my nursing education and in nursing, we do something called the nursing process Hmm. and it really fits for business and the nursing process is you assess and you diagnose and you plan, then you implement and then you reevaluate it. And if you do that with anything in business, it's this very thorough approach to it. Yeah. There's a lot of nursing entrepreneurs and I really think there should be more because we combine compassion and we are fearless at the same time. And Absolutely. So it's, you know, there's a lot of, lot of good that can come out of nursing. And when you stick with that nursing process, which has been ingrained in us since nursing school, then it really, really um, crosses over to business. For sure. Yeah. You know, I think of you guys similar to uh, like someone in the Air Force. You know, often you'll see ex-military, especially like special forces do really well in business because some of the nurses, they're like, I'm used to pressure, man. I'm used Mm -hmm. to thinking on my feet. I'm used to being in high stakes situations. And then they have something called the OODA loop, which sounds really similar, which is observe, orient, decide, act, and then do it all over again, right? Exactly. It's a very similar process of like, how do you just get an assess? Like you said assess, then diagnose, yeah. plan. Is that what it was? Yeah, second? the next one, diagnose. Yeah. And, and then, then plan. Yeah. And then implement your plan and then reevaluate. And then, yeah. And, re-evaluate. and then obviously, if it's good, then it's a home run. If it didn't go as planned, then you're going to reassess and just take it right back to square one. Man, the obvious parallels to business are plentiful in that, right? How many times you just need to do that process? Absolutely. And I didn't realize I was doing it. It's not like I sat out with the first time I, you know, had a hurdle in business. And I said, I think I'm going to apply the nursing process today. It was my brain just works that way. And then I realized I'm like, I'm doing the nursing process with how I'm solving all these issues and it works. Wow. Have you seen any other, whether mindsets or skill sets that have translated from that part of your, your training and your background into what you're doing today? Obviously, the business you're in, um, but anything else come to mind that translated rather well or maybe even gave you an advantage in what you're doing now? The only other thing in terms of money, I've been very fortunate that I haven't had to take any um, investor money to be where I'm at today. Wow. And it was really a children's book that I used to read to my girls called The Elf and the Shoemaker. And I don't know if you're familiar familiar with it because I know you're a father. Yeah, it sounds familiar. Yeah, it's an inventory business, right? So I I had kind of like touched on it before that you, you make a certain amount, let's just say 10, and you sell those 10, you use the money for that, and you go make 20. And then you, you know, and it, and, and a lot, I think a lot of people get too ahead of themselves, especially with food, you have to make sure you have a home for it. Otherwise, yep. um, you're, you're not going to profit, you're going to throw it in the trash, and then you'll never have that income to buy more inventory. So um, that was kind of my business model in terms of the finance, the finances, was to make it, to sell it, and to make more. Yeah. Oh, so beautiful. I love that. I find uh, several stories like that end up randomly helping me in the day, like um, going on a bear hunt. Do you remember that story of going on a bear hunt? Mm-hmm. There's been so many times in my life, literally in the back of my brain, I can hear the little song because they used to watch like people sing it on YouTube, the bear hunt song, and they get to the river and he says, you can't go over it. You can't go under it. You can't go around it. You got to go through it. And there were so many challenges I hit and I'm like, I'm looking for a way over it. I'm looking for a way under it. And, and, and the reality is I just got to go through it, right? <laughs> like you just yeah, got to buckle down. Oh, it's so good. Uh, well, talk to me about hiring. So I'm just taking like a snapshot at different angles of the business. You go from a one person show, moving as far as you can on your own. What was that like for you? Was that difficult, easy? Uh, just talk to me about hiring. What's that been like for you? Well, we hiring has always been, you know, it's like eating an elephant, right? It's just one bite at a time. So 
it was never like, let's go hire 20 people and figure, you know, and try to give them all roles to do. It was really figuring out where I needed help. And it started out with just me and this other um, employee. She started out as a contractor and we'd work at my kitchen table and we did everything together. Um, she's still with us um, at the, in the organization. And from there, it was like, okay, you know, I probably should get marketing help and got a VP of marketing. And three years later, he's still with us. Wow. And so we have a lot of longevity in our company with, we don't have a high turnaround whatsoever. And it's really filling the needs and giving people complete autonomy. I always say, you're not supposed to be an expert in everything. So hire those who are an expert in their field. And that's what I've done. I've surrounded myself with people who are really good at what they do. And I know what my strengths are, and, but I definitely would never claim to be anything in terms of you know, a VP of marketing or a finance director or my CFO. Um, everyone has their, their role. And sure. even, even you know, our, our warehouse team and um, customer service, which I did until recently, um, you know, and it, it expanded that team. And, um, but that is the hiring technique that we've used. You, we really just fill the void when, when it comes. And so when you see there's an actual need for this, you know, there's a void, right. your philosophy is to go find the expert in it, right? Give them give them uh, not complete control, but a, a lot of, a lot of autonomy. Is that a right? Lot of autonomy, right. Yeah. Because then, they're the expert in their field. Yeah. Are you looking for anything else in that process? Like culture fit or chemistry or integrity? Chemistry, we, we are such a small team and, um, you know, we, we want your experience obviously because that's what we're seeking. But at the same time, we definitely want a chemistry you know, we're a lot of fun. We, we laugh a lot and we have fun and, you know, and so it would have to definitely be somebody with a, a great sense of humor who works here and everybody does, um, you know, yeah. and we all just work really good. We have really good synergy here. Are there anything that you've found probably maybe even just uh, that you did accidentally or just naturally that if you were to look outside and, and learn from yourself has created some of that synergy has created some of that chemistry and that we really like to be here. Uh, love the team kind of feel. I think just engaging with each other. I, I take the time to really engage with each one of my employees. Um, learning about what they do at work, of course, um, which is the obvious, but also just learning about what their lives are like outside. Sure. So, and, and really making sure that their needs at home are also getting met. So very flexible um, in turn, you know, we have a saying here, family comes first. And that was really important to me because I remember after having my kids, I love the field of nursing, but the hours um, are not, you know, friendly at all, you know, 12 hour shifts and they're, you know, these really odd times and you can't get anything done for the day. So I wanted to make sure I had this culture of where, Yes, you are working, whether at home or here, most of us work in person here, but at the same time, you knew that what you had going on at home was just as much of a priority. Yeah. That it was valued just as much as to whatever your tasks were for the day at work. What happens when there's a, a push and pull between what the, what the, my family needs right now and what, what the work needs right now? How do you guys handle that? Um, just really good communication because that's kind of always been our culture. You know, things come up, but you know, if it's, you know, somebody's sick or you've got a doctor's appointment or anything, um, you know, that that's priority first. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You mentioned communication because that was the same thing that um, I believe I remember this correctly that Yvonne Chouinard was saying about Patagonia you know, his was a little different in terms of it wasn't family first. It was like surfing first, right? Where, uh, yeah, yeah. where he's like, I want to create a company where if the surf is nice outside, people can go and, and take advantage of the waves. But then they noticed like, wow, like there were a lot of balls being dropped because people were literally just taking off and we were getting behind on orders and all that kind of stuff. And so he said, 
in order to keep that, we just got to get really good at communication. So you can still feel the freedom to do that, but you got to make sure you've at least communicated and found that someone's picking up that ball. If you're going to be out of the office or, you know, plan ahead a little bit. And it sounds similar for you guys. Absolutely. Yes. And we, you know, being a beach community here in San Diego, we have two members on our team that definitely hit the surf um, before they come to work. And we have a shower here on at Booby headquarters and um, they shower and you know, hang their wetsuits over their cars to dry out. And, you know, but that makes them a better employee. I think, you know, yes. if that's your passion and you can get that out, I think what helps so that you don't, you know, get astray, like and you don't have a bunch of people just surfing all day and not working is when you're such a small knit team and there's not four people under you doing the same thing, you pretty much know when you get back to your computer and those emails are not answered that you, you got to get back to work. But the good news yeah. is um, it's not a nine to five job. So, you know, ideally business hours is a great time to do business. But at the same time, I'm really flexible that if you've got something you've got going on personally and you got to get back onto uh, answering emails, you know, 7, 12, midnight, that's totally fine too. That's when I get a lot of work done. I'm doing kind of the day-to-day, but it's not unusual to get an email from me at one in the morning. Wow. Yeah, I love that. I mean, we feel the same way with my company. It's like, I don't need you justifying to me why you took that day for whatever reason, because like you said, no one can hide. You know, when you have a smaller company, you can't hide. And so either your stuff's getting done or it's not getting done. And if it's not getting done, that's a problem. And it's probably not just because of that one day off you took. Right. right? But there's a natural, especially if you guys have given, like we have a lot of autonomy, well, then they're going to feel a certain level of personal responsibility for the area that you've given them to care for and to get results in. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. It's been very beneficial. I love that. Now what's the challenge to that kind of, culture and, and leadership style. Everything's got its pros and cons. What's the challenge that comes with the autonomy? I honestly, I, I honestly don't have any. I have not found any challenge, honestly, to that. Interesting. Yeah. And it maybe it's, it's why, you know, for such a small organization, why, you know, we hold on to our employees for so long. Yeah. You yes. know, for a startup is not easy because we're constantly changing. You know, you don't walk in and it's like, here's what we're doing and here's what you have to do. That changes and evolves probably daily. So you have to be very, you have to be willing flexible. To yeah, you have to be very flexible and you can't be like, wait a minute, three months we used to do it this way. You know, no one ever complains. So, you know, I'm very proud of the fact that you know, for being a startup, having people who've been with me for, you know, over three years since when I, you know, started hiring people. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a, that's definitely defying statistics. Right. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Are there anything, not that there needs to be anything else, but is there anything else that you think contributes to that longevity of, you know, staying with this startup? other than the culture. Again, it doesn't need to be anything more than that if that's just it, but the culture and the team and the mission and that kind of thing. Is there anything else you think has, has helped you defy some of those statistics? Um, I think um, I, you know, I pay above average and yeah. that's because I'm, I'm, I'm paying for your expertise. There's a reason why I didn't take a, you know, somebody right fresh out of college. And, and, and that was a financial decision I had to make, you know, there's, we all know that sometimes if you just pay somebody who's really experienced um, what they deserve versus two people to fill those same shoes. And so I, I think also just the, um, the pay scale benefits, you know, yeah, you know, big, big and small benefits. Absolutely. I was talking to a friend um, who runs a manufacturer, he runs a custom fabrication business. He's, brilliant and he's just been learning how to reproduce himself like how do i grow this company bigger than just what i me and his main guy can do right and he was like ah, I, i've got three people i gotta hire i was like wow that's a lot going from two to five like three really three and he starts breaking them up he's like i think i could pay this one 40 this one 40 this one 40 and i started looking at them all I go to me it sounds like you need one hire 
that you could pay eighty to hundred thousand dollars they could do all three of these. I was like, I'm not hearing three different jobs. You're assuming you need cheap labor here, cheap labor here, cheap labor here. I think you need one expert that can do wow. these three things. And that was a huge light bulb. And he realized he was even going to save money because paying one person 80 to 100 instead of paying three people 120 total, you've saved money and you've likely got someone who's going to do all three of those jobs better than the cheap labor. And I say cheap, you know what I mean? By, no, by I the know, cost saving. Right. Right. Yeah. It sounds similar to you guys. My philosophy. And, you know, it just, it, it, it works. And, and I think you saw the value too, that just, it just makes more sense. And I don't think a lot of people realize that at first, because they're like, oh my gosh, I'm a startup. I I should probably start really small. I should pay real, you know, I I should, you know, offer, offer a less amount, but that's, um, you, you end up having a higher turnover. I guarantee you. Yeah. Have you found any other counter, maybe um, counter norms be true for your business that everybody else kind of says this about startups, but we kind of did it this way? Uh, did anything, does anything else come to mind like that? Um, yeah, I really think a lot of companies, um, when they have a product, the first thing they do is dump a, mon- a lot of money into marketing. And, you know, for me, I said I need to get distribution And I use that as a marketing tool because, you know, what better way for somebody to learn about your product than to touch and feel it on store shelves. And so I looked at um, getting into retail, big and small, um, always as a marketing opportunity per se, because that's how people learned about me. Interesting. And it was word of mouth from there. So, you know, we just started putting money into marketing in the company and that's, you know, I think a lot of people do it in reverse. They just, I, I actually know people actually from like my, my Shark Tank friends and all that. They, they start their product and then they start just dumping, you know, tens of thousands of dollars into marketing. And sure enough, they're, they're out of business because they, 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 they run dry. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. It, it also reminds me just of a similar idea where people talk about like in the lean startup, like not spending a year crafting what you think is the perfect product and whatever and then try to go sell it and versus like get out there see if the market responds to it you know adapt change whatever and you saved yourself that marketing dollar until it was really going to be well spent right yes and one of the things that go along with that is um everything when you start a, a product you know you there's like a tier pricing let's say for packaging so you could order ten thousand of these boxes and pay let's say 50 cents but if you order, you know, twice as much, you pay half that. So you start thinking, oh gosh, I could just, I should probably just order twice as much. But I have this philosophy, anytime it's a first of anything, first packaging, first product, order the smallest you can order because there's always something you're going to want to change. And in the long run, that's going to save you money because I can't tell you how many times people go and, oh, I saved so much more if I bought 50,000 of this instead of 10,000. But now they're putting an extra label on top of their you know, product because they took an ingredient out or they added an ingredient, but they have yeah. all this leftover products. So um, I, I always tell my manufacturers, I'm going to start really small. I'm going to learn from it. And then I'm going to perfect it and I'm going to come out strong. And that's when I'm going to get the best cost and increase my margins. Oh, so good. I'm, I'm laughing because I was trying to think of how that's applied to our business. And I realized uh, one of the most embarrassing marketing fails ever happened to us. And I was so thankful when I'll tell you what it was, but I remember asking our head of marketing, how many people did that go out to? And luckily it was like five instead of 500 right Mm -hmm. but we had we were doing what we called a creative marketing campaign and you know ours is a b2b business and so you court sometimes these companies for a long period of time and it's going really well and then you don't hear from them for a while and so it's like all right let's do some creative marketing to get back in the conversation right so we were being funny similar to you we like humor we're like hey let's send them something in the mail that when they get it they can open this box and there'll be like a, a QR code on something like a keychain or something. They'll click on that. It'll pull up their Spotify and it'll be a song that's like, um, uh, you know, we miss you. I, I, I can't remember what song it was, like some creative song. Like, oh, don't you go forgetting about me. Remember the 80s song? Yeah. Don't you forget about yeah. me. 
And I was like, that's so brilliant. But I was like, let's just do a small test run. Let's see how they, how they respond to it. And he calls me back and he goes, man, somehow through purchasing Amazon, I'll show you exactly what I ordered. What they ended up sending was a ring box with a flower like on the inside and like on the inside. And it said like, I love you and whatever else. And then this <laughs> tiny QR code that had made no sense that when you opened it, didn't go to Spotify. And so I was like, hold on, we sent a ring box with flowers to these, you know, these, yeah. these corporate yeah. people that said, I love you with no note attached to it. And right. so we got back in touch with them and told them it was us and owned it. And they thought it was hysterical. Luckily they thought it was hysterical. They're like, we had a bet going around the office who in the world sent this? What does it even mean? Yes, yes. <laughs> but just you know, imagine, I mean, you said only maybe five people got it, but imagine if that had gone out to the masses. Exactly. The, the repercussions and the opportunities lost if you had to do that over. So exactly. Yeah, I'm very big into first impressions on yeah. all this. And you, you know, you, I think you should just throw a little out in the marketplace, test That's it, right. and then go big. Well, that's why I thought of it because I was like, no one, we've never turned that into a philosophy. It more felt like we got lucky. And now I hear yours saying, hey, the first of anything, go as small as possible. And I'm like, yeah. that was that we got lucky. Again, we didn't do it on purpose, but like, wow, I'm so, I was like mortified. I wonder like, how many people did this go out to? Because you know, some percentage of them would be very offended or turned off by it or whatever, even, even turned off that we made that mistake, you know? Right. And right. the unprofessionalism, luckily the five people we sent it to thought it was hysterical. It did remind them to get back in touch with us. And it was so great, you know, um, but well, that, I, was, that was a happy ending for sure. I'm, my heart rate is elevated right now. Cause it, it just it, thinking it, about it, right? just thinking about it. Oh yeah. my goodness. Um, so here's what, here's a last question I'll ask before we get into the lightning round where your current, where your company currently is what is the kind of thing you're pushing against? What is the current stage that you would say, here's where our company's at and here's what we're pushing for or trying to break through for what's next? Well, our company philosophy and mission is, you know, all other companies, when a baby is born, they shift the entire focus on the baby and mother is left behind. So our shift has always been mother. When a baby is born, so is a mother. Mm. And a mother has a lot of needs. And so our entire business and our philosophy and my drive every single day is to make the journey of motherhood easier for mothers. I love that. And so what's the next iteration of that? Because you're already doing that, right? Like to some degree, to a large right. degree. Yeah, we have serving. several products and they're to make mom's life easier and forms are really easy. You know, we, we use gummies instead of pills because those you can eat on the go. Um, we have meals on the go. All these things about being busy and how we cannot neglect ourselves. Um, one of the things um, we have to do is, you know, we have to balance as mothers, you know, work and family but one thing I've had to learn, unfortunately, the hard way in the last year was battling breast cancer. And we have to balance personal health. Yeah. And I think that really aligns with my company because basically what we, a lot of what we do is we're not just creating convenience and conveniences for mothers. We're also making sure she's as healthy and feels as energetic as she can be because that's how she's going to be better as a mother. Absolutely, man. And, you know, just selfishly, one of the reasons why it was a no brainer to have you guys on the show is from the experience I've had with my wife giving us our three beautiful children. And I just remember vividly our first child had colic. I guess you could say had colic. It's, you know, it's kind of a catch all sometimes term. Right. But, yeah. But it, she, our, she fit every possible definition of inconsolable crying same hours every night just crazy and you're already scared it's your first kid mm -hmm. you have no sleep I was on the phone with probably nurses like you at like one in the morning are you sure she's yeah. not dying you know yeah and, that sounds uh, like my firstborn yeah she gave me a run for my money so yeah man I just remember coming home one night and I was so conscious of the kid and even conscious of like my tiredness and I remember walking in I could hear the crying I was like oh man and I walked into the back and my wife there was no lights on 
and she was just staring at a wall with our baby crying on her shoulder. And she just had this like vacant look in her eyes, you know? And it was the first time it still makes me emotional now that I was like, Oh, I don't know if she's doing okay. You know? And I called my sisters and they were like, yeah, we were going to say like, your wife might need some help. I think not that I wasn't helping, but she was like, I think she might have some postpartum kind of stuff going on. Right. And it was this huge eye opening. Like, you're not okay. I didn't know you weren't okay. You know, like let's work. What do you need? How do we help you? And, uh, man, it just shook me. Like, again, the the focus, she's right there. And I focus has always been on the baby and yet we're forgetting about the mother. Absolutely. She's going through major transitions physically and emotionally. Yes. Yes. We must support women. So good. Well, thank you for that, for doing that again. I wish, I wish this were around or I knew about it when we, when we were having our three kids, it would have been uh, a bit a huge godsend for a lot of reasons. Yes. Well, thank you. And spread the word. Cause I'm sure, you know, a lot of people who are currently, um, you know, oh. either trying to get pregnant or, um, just had a baby. So again, oh, we we're not seasonal. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, I will. I will. Anytime I find something in that area, I, I spread it. There's a, a organization called Moms on Call that yeah. was registered nurses in the area that would literally could e- you could email with or come by and help you. I yeah. told everyone in my area uses them now. And yeah. same with this. I would love to, to turn them on to your products yeah. and your services. That would and be awesome. The village. So, yes, you have to find your village. So, yes. Thank you. That's awesome. All right, friend, let's get into the lightning round questions. I've got five questions for you, starting with number one. If you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would that message be? Uh, Be better at everything you do. Always strive for better. Don't be content. Love it. Love it. Number two, what is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business? And also, what was the worst? The best advice I ever got early on was don't bring anybody into your organization unless they have value. And that was really important to me because at the beginning, I'm like, oh, I probably need this person. I need this role. I need this role. And um, I I always ask myself because I need, you know, interesting people, but I'd say, okay, what do they bring to this? And if I couldn't answer that, then, um, they didn't come into the organization and it's, it's been really good. It's propelled us. And yeah. because you, you bring the wrong, the wrong kind of help into an organization and it will actually slow you down. Yeah. And it's and just another the, mouth to feed. <laughs> right. And then the worst thing that ever happened was um, my first manufacturer. He, um, he just kept saying, you don't, you know, our packaging, um, we had clear film, we didn't have um, any branding outside of our box. And I kept saying, you know, moms are eating this at the park, we have to have brand branding. And he's like, No, 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 you, you know, you're not you're not big enough, you don't need that, you don't need that. And he just held, you know, held me back so much that, you know, I actually had to end the relationship because um, it was holding me back from from doing what I needed to do in the business. Wow. So, so your, your that, it's listening to that inner voice, you know, that, that mother's intuition that comes um, into play also in business, you know, where you just, you have intuition about something and you, you got to follow it. Absolutely. All right. Number three, what currently causes you the most stress or worry leading your organization? It's actually um, my personal health, having a scare and in, in the last three years, having two back surgeries and breast cancer. When you run an organization and you're an entrepreneur, you know, when I worked at a hospital, when you call in sick, they're going to have your shift covered. So you you just go home and stay home and you get to just be well. When you run an organization and you, something happens with your personal health, um, it's probably the biggest stressor because, you know, you you can't take sick days. So after my double mastectomy, I was right back to work the very next day because you don't have, you don't have a choice. Wow. Okay. That makes total sense. And I'm so glad to hear that you're doing better. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Wow. Okay. That makes sense. Number four, what is your BHAG, your big, hairy, audacious goal for the business? 
my BHAG, which I love, I had never heard of that term until just now. So I love that is to continue to scale the company and partner with somebody who has experience, another consumer packaged goods company, health um, company. I always say that, you know, I birthed Booby, but I don't have to raise her. Like I'm <laughs> yeah. able to realize that sometimes there's a better parent out there. And that's how I feel like right now um, I'm raising her and bringing her up. But the day I meet a better parent um, to partner with, to, to reach more women and help more women, that's, that would be my BHAG. Heck yeah. I love that. Number five, this is our creative question. So take it however you wish. If you could hop into a DeLorean, go mm -hmm. back to the past and tell yourself just one thing out the driver's side window, when would you go back and what would you tell that younger version of yourself? Well, I love the reference, first of all, to Back to the Future. I'm such a big yeah, fan. Baby. Yeah. And so I love that the DeLorean time warp. In terms of business, there is anything. Yeah, you know, it would probably be more personal just because in business, I look at everything as a growth opportunity. But if I could go back, it would be with breast cancer. And it's and we're going to be spreading the word a lot more is that if you're symptomatic and a mammogram is comes back normal to demand an MRI, because had I known that um, my cancer would have been caught four years before it finally wow. And so that's, um, there's something, you know, called, um, lobular breast cancer and it does not show up on mammogram. It looks like cotton candy and an MRI would have caught it. So that's my biggest, um, thing. If I could ever go back, I would have said, let's do an MRI and, yeah. you know, and, but that's, everything happens for a reason. So now I think because of that experience, I think now I will be able to help more women because if it was an easy journey, then I probably wouldn't really be spreading the news as much as when you have a hurdle like that, then you actually learn from it and you try to take being wiser and you pass it on to the, the next generation. For sure. I mean, it's personal, it's visceral, it's, it's something that's urgent, right? And now, right. because of your experience, I'm hearing this from your mouth. I have a wife, a mom, two sisters, two daughters. Like, I'm at least one more person aware of, hey, if, if you're symptomatic and nothing shows up on the mammogram, demand, a, demand an MRI, MRI, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, so good. it doesn't mean there's not something there just because the mammogram shows nothing. Yeah, that's that's news to me. I, I have three daughters also, so that's why I'm I'm definitely I advocate for women in general, of course, in business, but I, I advocate for um, you know my three daughters also. So cool, so cool. Well, who knows? Maybe we saved a life today. Somebody listening? Yes, absolutely. I hope so. Takes that extra step and, and gets it gets something checked out that they should. So, uh, man, that is so fun. Thank you for taking time out of your busy busy schedule to be here with us. Share your story your insights. You guys are building something phenomenal in mission and service, also kicking ass as a business. And it's cool to see. So thank you for taking time and being here today, Wendy. Well, thank you. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. Yes, ma'am. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.